In the year 1940, France and Great Britain were in something of a standoff against Nazi Germany, which had invaded Poland the previous fall. On May 10th, the Germans stormed through the Ardennes Forest into Belgium and France and turned towards the English Channel. The French forces were quickly routed and the 300,000 troops belonging to the British Expeditionary Force found themselves completely surrounded. It soon became evident that their only hope of survival was to escape back to England and live to fight another day. Would the Brits survive? Would the German Blitzkrieg steamroll their way to the coast? What would become of the French troops and their homeland? These are all good questions that we were kind of hoping you would answer for yourselves. But since you just love being spoon-fed information, why don't you just go ahead and grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History titled Dunkirk, The Great British Takeoff. This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome in, listener. Um, listener men, listener women, listener children, mm-hmm. please don't listen to us. This is not good for your brain. It's not good for your development. We just lost every one of our Patreon subscribers. I hope you're happy. I know. They're all 12. <laughs> they all stole their mom's credit cards. They've been 12 for like three years. You know what I mean? That's the great thing about podcasting. I get older, they stay they the stay same age. <laughs> nice. Uh, Chris, how you doing, man? Doing all right. Excited to be here. Excited to be talking about history once again. Move past the true crime. We do get a lot of good, positive feedback when we do our stupid serial killer episodes. I just, I don't have the 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 emotional energy to do more than one true crime show like a year. It's so fucking draining. It is. It is. Researching that stuff and then trying to joke about it, but also trying not to joke about the victims. It's very difficult, and I think we fail like 90% of the time, so. I agree. That was a very long-winded answer for how are you doing, uh, but you said good. <laughs> and the reason I ask, you always part your hair to the side, mm-hmm. you know, and you're looking a little disheveled today. Why is that? I was paying homage to Hitler. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, what? wow. Where is that from? <laughs> Holy shit, dude. What the hell? Okay, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I feel so attacked on this goddamn show. I don't know what you mean, but that is a weird thing to pay homage to. I don't, I don't even know what that was from. Like, where that came from. You'd have to ask Wolf Dick. I, I don't even know. He was like, hey, go go set him up. Go set him up. I'll knock him down. <laughs> yeah. You're the producer. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You run the show. Well, what are we talking about today, buddy? I mean, even though you said in the intro, you know, I'm just, I'm setting you up now. Now go fucking knock him down. Resetting. Uh, it's fair to reset. They had to pause to laugh at my very contextually um, relevant comment that I just made. Obviously, that was me and not a recording. So they had to laugh. They probably forgot. But anyway, today we were talking about the, I'm going to say the Battle of Dunkirk, or the Battle of France. I'm going to keep it a little vague, a little mysterious as to what happens, even though 
Our main you source. Name the source, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our main source is the miracle of Dunkirk by Walter Lord. But is it a miracle for the Allies or the Axis? Hmm. So actually, what happened was Jesus showed up, and they were like. Help us, Jesus. Get us back to England. He's like, well, best I can do is... I can bunch. walk on water. I can carry, like, one of you, Max. Yeah. Fish? Loaves of bread? Anybody? Anybody hungry for some fish on toast? No? He could walk across the English Channel. He could. You're right. He, he could carry them, because I've read that Footprints in the Sand poem. Yeah, dude. There was uh, 600,000 footprints, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there was just one set. <laughs> And that's when Jesus was carrying them. Jesus must be fucking yoked. Jesus is swole as fuck, dude. <laughs> that's why he died on that cross for our sins. Like, he totally could have just flexed and the cross would have splintered into a million pieces. Pretty sure I've seen a, an image of that, actually, like, jacked Jesus ripping apart fucking of the cross. metal Jesus, dude. <laughs> but no, it is called... The Miracle of Dunkirk is a very, very good book. It's a classic, man. It was written, like, in the 50s, maybe? Walter Lord wrote a bunch of great historical books, and this one holds up. He also wrote a book on the Titanic. It doesn't hold up because we discovered new evidence, but this is this is legit. It'd be pretty fucking cool if Walter Lord was knighted, you know? <laughs> Lord He'd be Walter. Lord Walter Lord. <laughs> And be even cooler if after he's knighted, it was revealed he was the second coming of Jesus. And he'd be Lord, Lord, Walter Lord. Second coming of Jesus? What's yeah. the refractory time on that? <laughs> like, at least 2,000 years at this point. I need a week, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, it is a good book. Check it out. A lot of personal stories we won't really get into in this episode. Very cool stuff. Talked about this several times. When we're talking about war books, where sometimes it's tactical, sometimes it's personal. This is a great mix of both. So read it. Do it. But after you listen to this. Well, all right, man. You uh you ready to get into this into this little story, this fucking tale? You know, you got heroism, you've got battle, you've got intrigue and excitement. It has everything except the sex, which we will add. <laughs> we will add the sex seasoning to this story. It has everything else. Hey, don't you can't discount how much sex was had at Dunkirk. Like these dudes, they knew their world might be ending. This might be the last time they get to feel human skin against their human skin, you know? So it's like when you go to prison, you know, you gay for the stay. Yeah. Just, yep. Hey man. This is my last chance. Down to fuck in Dunkirk. I'd be in the corner watching mm -hmm. another guy do my boyfriend, old Dunkuck. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a very bad joke. <laughs> I apologize. It sounded really good in my head. Dunkuck, come on! <laughs> How about, yeah, I Dunkirk. I also did Tom, I done Ed. I did all of I thought I was going to die, Betsy. What would you do? Huh? Yours was better. <laughs> and while you were doing Kirk, I was over in the corner jerking off. So. <laughs> Done cut. Little joke tie-in. Also, uh, new listeners, welcome to our history <laughs> podcast. Yep. 
Nothing but serious history from here on out. Let's do it. Chris, take it away. In September 1939, the German army stormed into Poland and captured it after facing very little in the way of resistance. Hitler's attack pissed off France and England, who immediately declared war on Nazi Germany, but for a while it was more of a theoretical war, where they just put economic pressure on Hitler to back off. This eight-month period, known as the Phony War, ended on May 10th, when the Germans struck to the West. It's kind of like my first marriage. We're like, hey, we just need to do this to uh, make our parents happy. So I married a woman named Patty, who had hair very similar to mine, very short and quaffed. Glasses, we we looked very similar. We We wore the same clothes and same size and all that. And then after we passed the six-month period where it could be legally annulled, we got a divorce that way. You know, hey, oh, mom and dad, it just didn't work out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know. Oh, I wish it, I wish it would have gone better for both of us. But uh, we just wanted different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes before we realize what we truly want. I still pine for Patty because you look like me. And, you know, everybody mm-hmm. has that. Everybody has that fantasy. Like if there was a clone of you. Oh, yeah. Some yeah. Look in the mirror and squint when you masturbate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody does that. Everybody does that. Anyway, after World War I, the French and the English had somewhat prepared for this occurrence. The French built a long corridor of massive fortifications known as the Maginot Line, and the Brits, who had taken forever to join the fight in the First World War, rushed 300,000 troops to mainland Europe to join their French allies just days after the German invasion of Poland. But here is a little dirty, sexy secret about wars, particularly the early days of war. And that is, nations tend to fight them using tactics and lessons they learned from their last war. So when Hitler began to mobilize his armies towards Belgium, the Allies said, Hey, hold up a minute, I've seen this one before. And then that weird kid wearing his, like, headband and Indian feather says, what do you mean? This is a brand new episode. And then the Allies wearing their, their puffy vest and Calvin Klein underwear are like, oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys wouldn't have seen this before. You weren't born in the 1980s. That's right. That's, this math adds mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Back to the future reference. And then Chris is also there. Mm-hmm. And he says, This is going for what, man? <laughs> How does it get worse? Is that a I'm new recording? Sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> this is going for what, man? <laughs> what are you saying, Chris? <laughs> this is a country for white men. God, can you do it a little more sober? <laughs> this is a country for white men. Oh, okay. Uh, I understand you now. Why did you say that to the, to the Back to the Future joke, boys? I don't know. I guess I was just hammered drunk, just musing off the top of my head, watching the honeymooners or some shit in the corner. But then when they asked you what you meant, you replied, I was paying homage to Hitler. God damn it. So. <sighs> you satisfied, Wolf Dick? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I need I people keep my to job. Su- subscribe to the Patreon because... I'm going to lose my actual job because of what has happened. (laughs) 
Anyway, continue with uh, what you were saying. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was like World War One, or so the Allies thought, and they thought, oh, Germany's just going to swing through Belgium again, and the Supreme Allied Commander, French General, General. Mm, see what you did there. Yeah. He's French. Yeah. Maurice Gomeron sent his northern armies and the British Expeditionary Force up to the northern part of the Belgian border. Well, now the Allies had the southeastern border of France covered with the Maginot Line and the northeastern border covered with the French and BEF troops, BEF being British Expeditionary Force, but they ignored the Nougaty Center, a.k.a. the Ardennes Forest, because they thought the terrain was too rugged for the Germans to move through. And like I said, last time during World War I, they did the old Schieflin plan and swung through Belgium like a hinging gate. Uh, so that's what the Allies were expecting this time. And they were caught a little off guard. Massively off guard. They thought the Ardennes Forest was impenetrable. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that they're going to get through this thing. And they got through it quick as fuck. Even when they started getting news that the Germans were moving through the Ardennes, they're like, mm, no, they're not. <laughs> or it's not going to be a sizable force sort of thing. And they got caught with their fucking baguettes exposed, pants at the ankles. And the news they were getting was from a field reporter, uh, Winifred H. Pooh, who was very upset that not only were his beehives being disturbed by the panzer tanks, but also no one was stopping them. So there was no blood for the forest. <laughs> <laughs> You ever think, why did he have a shirt <laughs> and no pants? Because bears don't have dicks. Everybody knows that. They have giant nipples. <laughs> They've got dick nipples, no dick. Yeah, everybody knows that. Stupid. This is a stupid question. That's just how my uncle would answer the door. <laughs> you know, like, he'd be naked, and then there'd be a knock at the door, and he would just put a shirt on. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing here? I guess they didn't want to see a swastika tattoo or something. Or, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, for some of us, the shirt is long enough to cover everything. You know, then it's just the imagination. Oh, like in the uh, in the TV shows or the movies when the girl puts the guy's shirt on. Yeah. And that's yeah. just a nightgown now. Yeah. Sometimes the guy puts on the shirt and it's also just a nightgown. Because hmm. not only is it short, it's also abnormally high. It doesn't stick out very far, so you can't really tell. It's a very common thing. I've looked the it penis? up. I, I've Googled it. Yes, it's it's common. It happens. Yeah. I'm not a alone. Ball, ball stomach. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's a known thing. People know about ball stomach. For some people, they have ovaries and penis, and, you know, the penis comes out of the belly button. That's a thing. It's a scientific thing. I agree. Yes. Okay, good. 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 It's about 10 inches above the vagina. <laughs> Everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah. let's, let's talk about World War II. So like we were saying, on May 10th, Hitler said, Hold my beer, because I don't drink! And he YOLO'd 1,800 tanks and 45 divisions of troops through the forest, while 300-plus Stuka dive bombers flew overhead. Standing in their way was the French 9th Army, which crumbled almost immediately. The few units that decided to make heroic last stands soon found that their anti-tank guns were completely worthless against German armor. 
Other units along the border simply dropped their weapons, turned, and ran. I don't get why the French gained a bad reputation after World War II. I don't understand where that came from. Ooh, they really shit the bed. <laughs> and I hate the old trope of, oh, the French are pussies, and we always got to save their ass and all that. You know what I mean? Like, they fought their ass off in World War I, and historically, they're one of the most, like, vicious military forces of yeah. all time. Most successful military forces, yeah. too. Yeah, they are fucking conquerors. <laughs> World War II definitely changed that opinion for a lot of people and, you know, subsequent conflicts, Vietnam and all that. But, I mean, hell, we left Vietnam, too. But uh, I, I just hate that old trope of, oh, the French are pussies. It's like, meh. They fucked up massively in World War II. And a gigantic part of that was leadership and strategy. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't think they all deserve that reputation. In this time, they definitely do, though. They fucked up massively in World War II. And we're going to talk about that going forward. About Even in this situation, about what the French do and how just mind-bogglingly stupid it is. But uh, save that for later. So teased. They teased the fuck out of them, dude. Good job. They they got their Winnie the Pooh dick nipples just sticking straight out. Pants off. Yes. Hands covered in honey. (laughs) Well, the French did have three brigades of tanks, but one ran out of gas on the way to the front, and another was blown to goddamn hell by German bombers as they were unloading from trains. The third brigade was sprinkled along the front only to be wiped out by the Germans. If you thought the French anti-tank guns were bad, where do you see the French tanks? Where do you see the French tank tops? Don't even cover dick nipples. <laughs> sticking out of the side, flopping. Mm-hmm. As they run down the Riviera. It's not even functional. It's like a G-string. It's like, what? what, what is this? <laughs> you whore. <laughs> you slutty fucking teddy bear. Cover yourself. Winnie Le Pooh, please. <laughs> He's got a little beret on. The <laughs> Christopher Robin, he bring me the honey. <laughs> Dick nipples just erect outside of the fucking French tank top. Just chain, chain smoking cigarettes. Oh, God. <sighs> Talking about how he wants to just cover Piglet and butter and put him on a roast, you know? Ooh, spit turning him. Because the French are excellent cooks, Greg. I don't know if you knew that. Okay. They all have dick nipples and they're excellent cooks. Things we have established in this podcast. Yeah, dude. Marie Callender's. <laughs> Duh. God, she was so hot with her giant dick nipples. <laughs> mm. This pot pie is going to take five minutes, but you know it won't take five minutes. You won't need a calendar for what I'm about to do. You'll need a stopwatch. (laughs) Double penetration. You lay on your side, and I'm just going to put my chest up against you. (laughs) They bang with the dick nipples? I don't know. I don't know what's happened to this podcast. (laughs) None of this makes sense. No, no, it doesn't track at all. (laughs) But you know what? We're having fun. And uh, if people want to listen to it, cool. If they don't, then fucking. 
I was going to say kill yourself, but I don't want to be you. Make out-of-taste jokes. <laughs> Stop eavesdropping on our private conversation. How about that? If you want to eavesdrop, you better like it. <laughs> or just, you know, listen, because whatever reason, but you shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listener. I apologize. It won't happen again. Sometimes I just get really angry. <laughs> Probably happen again. <laughs> I'll keep it under control. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just okay. my feelings are so intense for you. I just sometimes I can't control them. Sometimes it's love. Sometimes it's anger. I'm sorry, baby. It's just you bring out the strongest emotions in me. I mean, look, look at my dick nipples. <laughs> They're obviously excited for you. <laughs> now give me a scratch on my back. I'm a pooh bear. I can't reach it. Ooh, baby. <laughs> Some weird fetish. You He's have. just grinding his back on the corner of the fucking bedroom doorway. Uh, get that scratch. Oh yeah. Only a t-shirt on. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's a mental image. This erect dick nipples poking the shirt out. Yeah. Oh bother. <laughs> We can do all this because he's no longer copyrighted. Christopher Robin, like, is wiping <laughs> tears away. He's like, all right, I'll give you another chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know we live in the hundred acre wood, but here's one acre of it, baby. <laughs> Lays down his actual dick. Mm. Which leaves a lot to be desired, you know? <laughs> it's not even close to an acre. Can't even see it through the fur. That's why Disney was allowed to do that for so many years. He was erect on like 90% of the, the shots. Oh, goodness. It was like the girls on Friends, how their nipples were always pointing because the producer kept it cold on set. That's that's what it was like. Is that why that was? I don't know. I think it was intentional because it's very noticeable in the early seasons when they aren't making money and then you get to the late seasons and like they're all wearing padded bras. and. Oh, yeah. Look, we know how you made your fucking money, okay? Don't you're, don't try to act <laughs> modest now, all right? Show me those woman nipples. <laughs> Can't even see the vast difference. This is bullshit. <laughs> Can't even see the inside of the testicle. What the fuck is this? This is fucking unfair. <laughs> anyway... On May 15th, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill was sleeping when his bedside phone rang. On the other end of the line was French Premier Paul Reynaud, who said, quote, oh, 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 we have been defeated. Oh. End quote. Now, it took Churchill a second to figure out just what the hell was going on. But after Reynaud explained the situation a little further... Churchill tried to soothe the premier and give him a little confidence boost. But Raynaud just repeated, Ho, ho, ho! We are defeated. We have lost the battle. End quote. End quote. <laughs> he said end quote to himself? <laughs> yes. Nice. We've all been there, right? You've all had the wake up to bad news phone call, and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're sleeping in your bed. You get the call, and your wife's like, hey, I just went to one of these all-night clinics, and I found out that I have syphilis. You're like, oh, fuck. Wait, what? Well, I'm sorry, I was, I was sleeping. I, 
I fell asleep watching uh, Grey's Anatomy again. You know, she just always gets into weird situations, but I, I still can't stay up. I'm sorry. What? 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 What's going on? I have syphilis. Do I have? Do I have syphilis? No, no. I I got it from somebody I else. I think you're okay. Okay, but is the car okay? Because you took it tonight. Is the car's okay, right? Yeah, the car's fine. Okay, thank God. Everything's gonna be fine, baby. They can treat syphilis. Penicillin. They they got you. I just can't afford that deductible. Fuck. I was up all night watching. Uh, Grey's Anatomy is a fanfic um, that I downloaded. Is uh, it's it's Christian Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, from Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Sorry, babe. It's uh, it was a long evening. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying right now? I'm so fucking dehydrated. I don't even know. <laughs> Over the following few days, the Germans continued to drive through the center of the Allied forces and pushed northwest towards the English Channel. The British troops were a bit confused whether they were now being ordered to move south and west to set up a perimeter when the Germans were supposed to be coming from Belgium. Confusion ruled the day as they scrambled to reorganize their lines. Units became separated and got lost in the dark or took wrong turns at crossroads. The French seemed to be in no hurry to move and caused massive traffic jams that became prime targets for German Stuka dive bombers. Rumors spread of German troops masquerading as fleeing refugees to infiltrate the Allied lines. It got so bad that an order was issued that all women were to be challenged at gunpoint, just in case the Germans were in drag. Which is ridiculous, because you ever seen a drag queen? How made up they are, and just gorgeous, like they got all the makeup and beautiful evening gowns and shit. You would never mistake them for a refugee. Like, there would never be a second question about that. You know, be like, oh, that's obviously a refugee woman. Right, that's because, I mean, hell, even Tom Petty. That's why he became a, a drag queen. Because he Did don't want to live like a refugee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you um, son of a bitch. Yeah, you son of a bitch. You got me. You got me good. Rest in peace. Well, communication between the French and English basically stopped. The French, specifically General Gamelon, were in charge of the entire operation and they had insisted on using telephone lines to communicate because they didn't trust radio signals. The mainstream media. That's how they get you. Mm. No. Just need some sort of direct contact so we can spread our messages let them know where the the pizza parties are happening wait where we gonna go fight the pizza parties and save the kids that's what we're doing that's that's the side and then we're gonna celebrate by having a pizza party yeah but pizza and ping pong party hmm yeah that's quite the alliteration <laughs> just kidding i believe these things i don't know what an alliteration is <laughs> I alliterationally believe that they're eating children blood. <laughs> Adrenochrome, bro. <laughs> British General John Vereker, aka Lord Gort, or Lord Voldegort. Hmm. Was leader of the BEF, but he was beholden to the French leadership 
so he is a little disappointed when the telephone lines were pretty much destroyed as soon as the Germans entered France. Of course, Lord Voldegort didn't help matters by shifting his headquarters seven times in ten days. Gotta stay away from that baby with a lightning mark, because he's gonna fuck your face up. (laughs) Take your nose right off. I've not seen Harry Potter, I will say. I saw, like, the first one. I was too busy having sex. <laughs> no. <laughs> I normally like those things, and I'm, I'm a pretty big nerd. I don't know. It just seemed a little childish for me at the time. Yeah. Me too. I was I'm a 38-year-old man, Chris. <laughs> well, I'm 80 years old, and I fucking loved every second of Harry Potter. I was going to say, like, my family members that are all in, like, their 60s love it. <laughs> so I don't guess that's really a good reason. I don't know. It's whatever, dude, okay? I like high fantasy, like Lord of the Rings. Mm. Okay. Song of Ice and Fire. You know? Yeah. Willow. Adult shit. And uh, the Dark Crystal. And uh, Little Mermaid. High fantasy. It's fantasy to watch when you're high, yes. (laughs) And you start thinking, like, could I physically have sex with a mermaid? Like, could that work? Or does she just like lay eggs and I go over and jerk off on them? I don't know how how that'd work out for anybody. New mermaid's got a mouth? What are you talking about? <laughs> Some of that mermaid head. <laughs> you know, my favorite thing about mermaids is it was just Christopher Columbus seeing a manatee and getting real horny. And that's where the idea of mermaids came from. No way. That's where his idea of mermaids came from. He pretty. He's you like, you think mermaids were invented in the 1400s? Yep, by Christopher Columbus. And he saw a, a manatee, and he's like, damn, that bitch thick. Woo, look at that. Mm, I want to get all up in there. I want her to lay her eggs so I can just walk over and dump on them. Well, I mean, dude, all that time on a boat, it'll do things to a man. So It's true. Fair enough. I don't like Christopher Columbus, but I can relate with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said it. Uh, never mind. That a lot more. of time will do that to you. That's all <laughs> yeah. I said. Yeah, sorry. I, I wasn't going anywhere. Okay. Except on the shore to fuck that manatee. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a woman a tea, eh, not interested. Mm, no, pass. She doesn't have the rippling muscles and the pure sex drive that the manatee has. I like a bear manatee. Bunch of <laughs> bristly hair all over the manatee chest. Biker cap on. See, I like the twink manatee. You know, the ones that are deathly ill and just skin and bones. Yeah? Yeah, he's like, you look like you may have some bugs that I can chase. You're not doing so great, buddy. Mm. Why don't you lower your standards and come over to my boat? Moving on. Yep. Oh, we just lost every listener we ever had. Oh, well. The French were pretty beat down, and Gomelon had basically resorted to sitting in his room and crying into his pillow. So Premier Reynaud fired his ass and replaced him with 73-year-old Maxime Vagon. His first action was to take a night off, get some good sleep. What you're looking for, countries being invaded, you know? Just a guy who's got his priorities straight. You know, you can't do anything if you're too sleepy. You had a big meal, you know, big turkey dinner. You can't focus. You can't focus on work. You just gotta just tuck yourself in, put on your little nightcap, and go to sleep. 
Yeah, you got to get that battery recharged, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Smart. For his second action, Vagon issued an order not to let the Germans take the coast, but they were already there. Then he just went ahead and lied to everyone about imaginary victories for the French. In reality, the entire BEF and French First Army were trapped in a corridor that ran about 20 miles along the English Channel and extended only about 60 miles out from the coast. But Vagon was a man with a plan. He decided that the Brits should launch a counterattack from the north with the French supporting their left flank. The French army that was down south would simultaneously launch a northward attack against the Germans, and the two sides would wipe out the Germans, shake hands, and have tea and cigarettes somewhere in the middle, and then they'd drive old Hitler back into Germany. Just a flawless fucking plan, you know? There's no way this can go wrong. They just kick their fucking teeth in, you know? So let's let's see what we can do against them. Let's, let's go, guys. Well, Winston Churchill loved the idea, and Lord Voldgort said he'd go along with it, even though he thought it was pretty fucking stupid. It turns out, Lord Voldegort was right. The Brits couldn't spare enough men to make a dent in the German lines, and their 76 tanks were pretty much all broken down. The French on the west flank arrived a day late, and the French attacking from the Somme River down south didn't make it very far before the Germans shoved their own baguettes right up their b-holes. Their baguette holes. That's what the B stands for. Mm Mm-hmm. In the east, the Belgians were getting wrecked, and they were on the verge of collapse. So, seeing that his first offensive had failed, Churchill ordered Gort to send a few divisions out east to help. Gort lost his fucking shit. He flipped tables, he smashed the phone receiver into a billion little pieces, and then he took a portrait of Winston Churchill and just wiped his ass with it. Uh, actually, that's not true. He was British. He probably actually just said, No, I'd rather not. And ignored the order. Instead, he sent one of his aides to London to tell them how fucked the situation was and how his only intention now was to withdraw from France completely. Surprisingly, the war ministry listened. They came up with what they called Operation Dynamo. The plan was to send 36 ships, mostly ferries, across the channel to the ports of Calais, Boulogne, and Dunkirk. And I'm sorry for using colorful language. That's just how they spoke back then. Fairies. Oh, oh. (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Okay, I understand. (laughs) First, they'd pick up the chaplains and cooks and such, and then they'd pick up the combatants and hurry them back home to merry old England. Now, right as they were coming up with that plan, the Germans were moving into Boulogne and Calais, so they soon realized that Dunkirk was going to be their only means of escape. And once someone actually sat down and did the math, they realized they were going to need a whole hell of a lot more than 36 boats to get the job done. Like they, like, I feel like somebody just threw that number out. Like, what? how many boats would you think when you, I don't know, like 36, dude? I don't fucking know. I'm not good with this shit. Did you hear that? 36 boats, guys. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. We have, We can spare that. That's, uh... Let's get that up to Winston real quick. He'll uh, he'll approve that. He'll sign off. And then that guy sat down. And he's like, okay, we have 300,000 troops. So if we squeeze 10,000 men into each boat. Oh, fuck. That's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Orders were sent out. To, and I like, by the way, I was doing invisible math on my mouse pad here. I'm like writing it out uh-huh. like an idiot. <laughs> like anyone can see me. That's okay. 
It helps to sell it vocally. Right. You know, when you're actually it, like going through with it. Committed like to the bit. Do. Yeah. 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 That's why I'm going to start dressing in drag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just to, to really sell my character, basically. I appreciate your commitment. I'm going to start going to truck stops and offering oral <laughs> sex to males for the bit. Just for this show. Yes. That's, my that's commitment, commitment to the character. That's amazing. I'm a method I, actor, dude. <laughs> Just down there in the stalls of a truck going, well, I really don't want to do this, but, you know, I have a podcast. And they're like, oh, okay. I understand. I play a role. I, <laughs> I got to stay in character. Otherwise, the whole thing's just going to fall apart. Uh, okay. Well, I don't understand why your hand has lipstick on it and googly eyes. That's Hambone. He's separate. He's not an actor. <laughs> he really is that depraved. <laughs> End up like, for the character, for the bit, mm-hmm. you know, fall in love with one of the men and we get <laughs> married, adopt kids from Asia. Yeah. You know? And you wake up one morning and the guy's dead in the bed. He'd been strangled by a jealous lover. And there's lipstick just smeared all over his throat. And Hambone's just Hambone's, staring at you Hambone's angrily. googly eyes are all bloodshot. <laughs> Hambone, what you do? Now we're in it together. We're on the run. A week later, this podcast gets canceled. And I'm like, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? I didn't want well, that life. I was just... I was in in role. I was in character. <laughs> Call my wife. She's remarried. She's had like three kids. This has been going on for a long time. Like, hey, the uh, the role's over. Job's done. I'm coming home. Immediate restraining order. <laughs> you show up in a military uniform that's not yours, like full dress. Get out of a cab. Daddy's home. <laughs> And so's little daddy. <laughs> little daddy. <laughs> oh, you truly are the Daniel Day Lewis of podcasters. That's right, man. <laughs> Orders were sent out to the troops in France that they were to book it to Dunkirk post haste. For the most part, they were literally told things like, Every man for himself, make for Dunkirk, and good luck. Deuces. What followed was absolute chaos. Some men on the front line weren't even told they were moving and were left behind. Probably on purpose. I'm going to just acknowledge that if it was me, they'd be like, hey, hey, why don't you go, uh, why don't you go over to that shack and guard the road? <laughs> you fucking idiot. And I'm like, okay, guys, uh, I, uh, well, um, when we get back, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about our feelings and read the Bible some more, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's what we like doing. We're soldiers. Just wait for us to come back, we'll get you, and then, and then we'll go. Yeah. Soldiers constantly stumbled into German positions and were captured, and for the most part, no one knew exactly where Dunkirk was because no one was given maps, although a few enterprising soldiers had clipped maps out of the London Times that had been printed to give readers updates on the war's progress. By this point, the German tanks were about 15 miles outside of Dunkirk, and the panzer crews were all sorts of horny to take the city and wipe out the Brits but they were up against one massive handicap. Their leader was Adolf Dumb Dumb Hitler. Due to mechanical breakdowns, the army figured their tanks would be operating at about 50%. Another general was concerned that the ground troops couldn't keep up with the armor streaming into France. 
Now, the men who were actually fighting knew that the 50% of the tanks were still plenty to finish off Boulogne and Calais and then roll right into Dunkirk and capture the port. And since French generals Gomelon and Vagon had been slow in making decisions, the infantry was caught up to the tanks. There was some concern about the marshy terrain, but the Germans had figured out a path through already. But then, there was Hermann Goering, commander of the German Air Force, a.k.a. the Luftwaffe. You know I wanted to say Luftwaffe right there. You know it killed me Yeah, a you hate the German W, pronounced as V. It's one of your top five most hated things in the world. Yep. Makes no sense. But... <laughs> Goering told Hitler that his Stuka bombers could destroy the British forces left in and around Dunkirk. That way, his tanks could concentrate on pushing southward towards Paris. Hitler fucking loved that idea and ordered all of his tanks near Dunkirk to halt their advance. When General Walther von Brauchitsch went to Hitler and tried to convince him that this was a really stupid idea, and why not just go ahead and wipe out the Brits now and then swing south, Hitler went apeshit on old Walther and confirmed the halt order. He just lost his goddamn meth-addled mind, like screaming at him. Who did you think you are? I am Hitler. I am in charge. Mark for later. I am Adolf Elizabeth Hitler. <laughs> you listen to my orders. He's just in there playing with model planes, like... See? That is how it will play out. I just showed you. I have given you the perfect game plan. Get <laughs> in the plane. I will show you. Mein Führer, that is a model. Get in the plane. That's the order. <laughs> One foot at a time. Now. <laughs> take a puff from this pipe. You see. You'll see. <laughs> then we take apart the television to see the demons. <laughs> Anyway, the tanks would sit idle for two days before being given the green light to continue their attacks. Back in London, the war ministry was busy gathering as many ships as they could find that could make the trip from Dover to Dunkirk. Dover being the southernmost port in England, the closest crossing in the channel. Not Dover, Delaware. No, that, would, that wouldn't make sense. That'd be stupid. But, you know, you gotta clarify. Be par for the course, you know? Yeah, somebody lives outside of Dover and they're like... What the fuck? How have I never <laughs> learned this? In our Delaware State History class. I don't know. I'm assuming they have that. Every state does that. It's not just Texas that's full of, it, full of its fucking self. I don't know. but Don't yeah. care. The war ministry were particularly interested in larger ships that could operate in shallow water. The idea being that those ships would pick up troops, take them out to destroyers in deeper waters and then the destroyers would take the troops home. By the evening of May 26, they had a total of 129 ships. Yep, Operation Dynamo was a full go, but the men were going to need time and support if they were going to make it to the coast. To the 3,000 British troops in Calais, Winston Churchill wrote, quote, Every hour you continue to exist is of greatest help to the BEF. Government has therefore decided you must continue to fight. Have greatest possible admiration for your splendid stand. End quote. In other words, hey, uh, you guys are all going to die, but if you could do it slowly, that would really help us out. It's got to feel good to get that, that memo. I was supposed to be a hero. I was going to go home and knock up my wife, and now I get to die. 
in fucking Calais. Lucky. <laughs> Do you think that when oh fuck, I'm gonna die in Calais? Like he was in a, a like a Play-Doh factory and fell into one of the vats. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna die in Calais. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But he did die. Yep, he sure did. He's, his name's on the memorial just like the guy who got shot on D-Day, you know? But what they did is they put him in a very large meat grinder type of thing. Mm-hmm. And he got mixed into the Play-Doh. And now little kids put him through the little play grinder, Me- you know, <laughs> that pushes it all out the, the bunch of holes. <laughs> History repeats itself. History podcast. Circle of life. 100 Proof History. You're welcome. Calais fell the next day. They had a roll in a hay. And they went to play by the bay. Sorry, it's just a bunch of I, sw- I swear to God, Dad, I'm not <laughs> skipping school. <laughs> it's just a, a non sequitur. It had nothing to do with what you said. Right. <laughs> A few hours later, the unaware British airdropped supplies onto the grateful Germans who now occupied the city. And they realized it was all English food, and they're like, oh, fuck this shit. Some fucking beans for breakfast. What is this garbage? <laughs> Bengals and the mash? What the fuck is this? <laughs> you have the worst sausage and this shitty potato. <laughs> Meanwhile, troops continued to stream towards Dunkirk under the cover of a rear guard. <laughs> uh, my dad made me wear a rear guard for a while after he caught me. The old butt chastity belt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> made gym class really fucking awkward. The metal belt flopping around in there. But a lot of people don't know how it was in medieval times. It actually goes inside you and then there's the spikes that point outwards. Yeah. So the penis can go in, but it can't, <laughs> it can't come, out. come out. Along the way, the British destroyed bridges and equipment. The men who had been part of artillery units literally cried as they dismantled and destroyed their guns. They probably cried a little more when they were handed rifles and told that they needed to man the perimeter. Now, the Germans didn't sit back and let this happen. Their ground forces, minus tanks, and the Luftwaffe made the withdrawal a living hell. The Waffen-SS was present, and they were systematically executing any men that surrendered or were captured. The Stukas bombed the roads, forcing the Brits to try and move under the cover of darkness, which only led to more lost and captured soldiers. The Germans also dropped leaflets urging the Brits to surrender, but the leaflets contained a map showing them that the port of Dunkirk was their last hope, so the men just pressed on towards the town. Kind of a dumb move. Like, hey, look, we don't have this area captured. (laughs) So you guys are fucked. What if I go there? No, don't go there. You can't you can't go. That's not an option. Look, it's it's not captured. It's it's a free zone. Like anybody can be there. So we could be there. You don't fucking know. The fog of war. Yeah, don't fucking go there. Whatever you do, don't um there's uh I don't know, there there's bears there and stuff and and uh twinks and you you, wait no (laughs) sorry got confused bears have dick nipples (laughs) they don't wear pants it's weird it's terrifying it's terrifying just screaming erect dick nipples and he's screaming blood for the fort you don't want to go there while he's screaming blood for the port 
Oh, there's just blood pouring out of his mouth. <laughs> it's really terrifying. Dad, I'm telling you. <laughs> it's real. I swear it's real. <laughs> Dad doesn't believe him. Turns off the lights and the closet opens. Mist yeah. falls out. <laughs> oh, bother. Just giant <laughs> nipples. <laughs> He's just staring towards that open closet door he can't see into. And then from behind him, he hears T I double G R. He feels something bouncy go inside him. <laughs> Gross. The tail, dude. Don't be disgusting. I'm sorry. The tail went into his butthole. <laughs> Must you Tigger, perv everything up? Tigger doesn't have a bouncy penis. That's not a part of it. <sighs> You're such a pervert. I just lie back and it does all the work. Yay! <laughs> oh, we can say all this because it's uh, copyright. They lost it, so we can make. Pretty sure we can say it anyway. <laughs> no, Disney was going to sue us. <laughs> and so the British swarmed into Dunkirk, lost, confused, and often completely leaderless. Some took shelter in the town cellars to avoid air raids. Others wandered aimlessly along the beach. Some prayed and sang hymns or drank coffee in the cafes. A whole hell of a lot of them got drunk. As the first boats arrived from England on May 26th, the scene was so chaotic that even the war ministry believed that of the 300,000 British troops in France, they would probably only bring 45,000 home. Would they do it, Greg? No. End of story. <laughs> Woo! They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't either. I don't know what's going to happen. Hmm. Let me ponder it over a little break music, and then I'll come back and tell the rest of the story. Let's do it. All right, we are back from break. Hope you guys had a very productive 10 seconds. No, I did. My life has changed for the better. <laughs> Went out and bought my fucking $1.2 billion Powerball tickets. Um, Also bought a Camaro on the way home <laughs> from that. Yeah. Because I, I'm just like, this is nothing compared to $1.2 billion I'm about to win. <laughs> so got a note, albeit it is at a 32% interest rate. Awesome. However, however, comma. Mm-hmm. Once I get that payout, I, I'm not going to have to make a single payment. I'm just going to pay it off in full. So it could be an 8,000% interest rate. It doesn't matter <laughs> because I'm not I'm not out any money when I pay it in full. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. So That's why my credit's in shambles and I drive an i3 Toyota Tercel. Why? Because uh, I listen to financial advice like that. What do you mean? No, I, it's going to work for you. I just, I just, you know, mm. I I make the mistake of buying the smaller lottery tickets, obviously. You know, the scratch-offs. For some reason, they did not want my Suzuki on trade-in, <laughs> which I don't understand. It's a collector's item. <laughs> just needs, you know, 
paint job, a little de-rusting. Yeah. But. Whatever. Yeah, so. Now you have two cars. Ten seconds to them, but, uh, you know, a lifetime of change <laughs> headed my way. First thing I'm going to do is buy this podcast from Wolf Dick. Oh, you can't afford that, even with the Well, because as you know, we're at a 54% interest rate on all the financing he's done for these uh. mics and amplifiers, computer, all that. So, And he won't let us quit. That's what a good financial advisor will tell you to do. Take care of your highest interest stuff first. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the bull by... Dude, I'm not fucking stupid. <laughs> so, who'll be laughing tomorrow? Or whenever after the Powerball is? Oh, we, we're still going to be friends, right? <laughs> oh, Chris. I won't need friends, okay? <laughs> I'll be able... I'll be hanging out with fucking Chris Pratt and Louis C.K., and then, like, Chris Pratt will leave early, and I'll, I'll just, like, kind of sit there wantingly, hope, hoping that Louis C.K. will, like, start jerking off in front of me. <laughs> just trap you in like a room. he got in trouble for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but. Oh, we forgot about that. He won an uh, Emmy we'll or something for his comedy album. You know, it's, it's all water under the bridge. And if he doesn't, just start doing it. Dude, I got 1.2 billies. <laughs> I'm going to pay him to start doing it. <laughs> and I'm going to get back into my acting role. My Daniel Day-Lewis of podcasting <laughs> role. And I'll be like, I, I drink your milkshake. But it'll be because we're at an old 50s diner, and we both have two straws in the milkshake. Because I've paid him to fall in love with me. I'm like Richard <laughs> Gere in Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts. Except it's me and Louis C.K. And he's not allowed to wear a shirt. Does he still have to sing Prince songs in the bathtub? Hmm, hadn't thought of it. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm getting so hot and bothered about picturing Louis C.K. in a bubble bath, just mm. happily singing songs. Well, let's get on with this podcast. I guess. Because it might be the last one I do once I'm <laughs> a rich boy. <laughs> I was thinking during our break, like, there are people that, like, you, you say, hey, yeah, I do a history podcast. And they're like, oh, cool, I'll check it out. And then listen to ours. And you're like, I'm kind of a fan of like history podcasts where they talk about history. So, yeah, we do that. We get that. That's that's in there, right? Keep listening, dude. <laughs> yeah. It's like you watch the first episode of Game of Thrones. And you're like, eh, I'm not really, it didn't hook me. Keep fucking going, okay? Yeah. They they did watch the first episode and they act like, oh, yeah, it's the political intrigue that hooked me, not the brother or sisters hooking up in the castle. That, that didn't get me into it. I'm not a pervert. Mm. I don't fantasize about teddy bears with giant dick nibbles <laughs> i'm not sick you're sick yeah that was jamie lannister and not sister <laughs> cersei Pornhub. Pornhub has made that very clear to me <laughs> all right yeah let's get into this but first we have to do what we do every time it's a tradition and if you're a new listener just pause the show go grab yourself a hard seltzer, because we know you've been drinking this whole time and you need some refreshing alcohol pumped into your body. And so you can join us now for the second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Three, two, one, pop. Mm-mm-mm. All right, we have dallied, we have dillied, but we have not told the rest of the story. Greg, are you ready to do that? 
<sighs> Man, I've just got these thoughts of grandeur on my mind, but <laughs> I could be normal for one more day. <laughs> Operation Dynamo did not get off to a great start. As the ship arrived in the evening of May 26, they had received very little in the way of instruction. Making matters worse, one ship began a game of telephone between boats, indicating that Dunkirk had fallen into enemy hands and they should all stay clear. As a result, through the first day of evacuations, only about 7,600 men had made it out of Dunkirk, and most of those were the chaplains and chefs and other noncombatants, which London had labeled as, quote, useless mouths. A.K.A. my wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus. <laughs> right, guys? Yeah, I'm married. I don't get, I don't get that. Mostly because she won't put on the fake mustache when I ask her to. But you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Hambone does it. Why won't you? <laughs> Keep telling you that is your own hand. Don't listen to her, baby. Mm. It's mm. possessed by a demon. <laughs> Come at you know me, how bitch. Ridiculous <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> you don't please him like I do. I can see your mouth moving. I can see you saying that. You're not even a good ventriloquist, okay? <laughs> well, if the rate of evacuation continued at that rate, it would take a little under 60 days to fully evacuate the British Expeditionary Force. The Admiralty ordered every available destroyer to aid in the rescue operation, but they were incapable of moving into the shallow water near the coast. The destroyers sent out their smaller boats to gather the men, but the men overwhelmed the boats, causing them to capsize or become grounded in the shallow water. Through the 27th and 28th, the crews of the destroyers were only able to rescue a few hundred men. And remember, we're talking a few hundred thousand men. Back in London, the Ministry of Shipping said, Fuck it. Let's just start taking people's boats. They went up and down the Thames River with boatyard owners commandeering ships and boats to form what would be known as the Little Ships of Dunkirk Flotilla. Most of the ship owners volunteered to take their boats and help the Navy, even though most of them hadn't ever left the comfort of the Thames. A few refused, but their boats were still confiscated, and the police were overwhelmed with reports of boat theft when confused owners went to the shipyards and had no idea where their boats had gone. On May 27th, three French naval officers arrived in Dover to discuss how to keep Dunkirk supplied, which led to some awkward glances and hemming and hawing because the Brits had kind of sort of decided to not actually tell the French that they were leaving. <laughs> so shitty. Like, uh, yeah, we're just pulling back, guys. We're going we're gonna to hold that port. <laughs> That's why we got so many men there, because, you know, super reinforcing the port. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> General Vagon was hot-pissed because he thought the Brits had been pulling back to Dunkirk to make it a strong point from which future counteroffensive could be launched. Reynaud was pretty much okay with the idea of abandoning France and the commander of the First Army wanted to just make a heroic last stand at Lee. London basically said, Okay, talk amongst yourselves and continued to send small groups of soldiers out of Dunkirk. It's just like when my parents would fight at dinner. You know, at first they are like, it starts because of something I did. Like, you will not believe what your son was caught doing at school today. He had his hand painted, and he was doing Les Mis. 
two-man show. <laughs> and then they just start screaming at each other. Well, you're the one that makes him watch musicals all the time. Well, I'm his mother, and I don't think he should be uncultured. And you're the one that takes him to all those male strip clubs all the time. Well, you know, he needs to know what a man looks like. The physique. And they just start screaming at each other. You know. Your mom's like, you're the one that put lipstick in his stocking. <laughs> it's why his hand looks like that. You're the one that taught him how to do that. And, you know, becomes a mustachioed hand with lipstick. He's my boy. He needs to learn. <laughs> oh. Worst history podcast. Throughout that day, the Luftwaffe pounded Dunkirk from the air. They destroyed the roads, bombed the ports, and set the oil refinery ablaze. Initially, the Brits decided the ports would be too dangerous and shifted the rescue operation to the beach, some eight miles down the coast. But then one dude said, Hey, I found this mole. It's on my testicles, and I'm really concerned about the shape and color. What do you think? And after the Admiralty looked at his balls, he said, also, there's this other mole, which is like a long pier made of boards on top of concrete pillars, and I think we can use it to evacuate soldiers. I just don't understand why he wasted so much time with the first mole. Like, this is a dire situation. That's life and death. <laughs> That's true. Could be cancerous. Yeah. To test the mole, a biopsy was performed. Once they learned it was benign, Whew. the Admiralty tested the pier version. 950 men crowded onto the mole and loaded onto a steamboat named Queen of the Channel. The loading went smoothly, and the ship sailed away. Mm, sure, she was sunk halfway back to England by German bombers, but the mole had worked. And as an added bonus, the smoke from the burning refinery obscured the mole from the bombers. Just crowding dudes onto that fucking pier, and that smoke just pouring over them. He's like, oh, I may live, but I'm probably going to develop some form of cancer later, right? They're like, no, man, this is the 40s, and they lit up cigarettes. And <laughs> <laughs> No, we don't know nothing about that shit, dude. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We don't. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. On May 28th, the Belgians, led by King Leopold III, officially surrendered to the Germans, leaving a large gap in the perimeter around Dunkirk. The English were surprised to see the Belgians throw in the towel, even though Leopold had been telling him for days that his nation was on the brink of collapse. Adding to his decision was the fact that the Brits had also decided not to tell the Belgians that they were leaving for England. When confronted with that information, they pulled the old, Oh, we, we, we thought you already knew. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, Churchill sent directions to the guys communicating with Leopold, and he's like, hey, just... When they ask, be like, well, we thought when you saw all of our troops leaving, you, you would figure out what we were doing. Like you would have put two and two together that if we're leaving, we're obviously leaving the entire mainland and just going back to our, our island where it'll be harder for the Germans to kill us personally and abandoning you. I thought you would just assume that's what <laughs> someone would do. And if they don't buy that, pull the old home improvement on them. <laughs> oh, 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 I got it, sir. Yes, sir. Uh... Oh, 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 oh. He's just grunting at King Leopold. <laughs> King Leopold's like, what the Have fuck? Have this man arrested. <laughs> is this shit? He's got a syphilitic brain. <laughs> Cut off his hands. That's what daddy would do. <laughs> uh, go listen to our King Leopold II episode for that one. 
under the command of future British Supreme Commander Bernard Montgomery. BEF divisions along the perimeter of the escape corridor shifted to fill the gap. They fought fiercely and held several key strongpoints, including fortresses built by Napoleon, to hold off the German advance as long as they could. It was smarter than Napoleon to build those, because to hold off the Germans a hundred years later. That guy was a fucking genius, I'm telling you. Nostradamus Napoleon. <laughs> Double N. Couldn't see the fact that his wife was cheating on him all the fucking time, but whatever. Uh, you can uh, listen to our Napoleon episode. <laughs> yes! God, we've done everything. Give us money. Give us money. Give us money. Give us money. Meanwhile, in the South and West, the French were proving to be less interested in fighting. As the English moved towards Dunkirk, they saw hordes and hordes of French soldiers sitting alongside the road doing nothing other than waiting for the Germans to arrive. When the British urged the leader of the French First Army to abandon Leah and make their way to Dunkirk, he said they were too tired to move. A great way to fight a war. Dude, fuck that. Walk all that way? We don't even have, like, cars and shit that can take it? Can we call, like, Ubers for these guys? These are the same guys that were taking taxis to the front lines, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Where's that shit? Where's our taxis? Back in old WW1. 20 years ago, man. Uh, We can do it again. (laughs) We did it once. As far as the evacuation went, things improved throughout the day of May 28th. They were able to evacuate 17,000 troops, more than twice the day before, and a new, shorter route between Dover and Dunkirk had been cleared of mines. The sea conditions were great. Their escape route was obscured by smoke and fog, and thus far, the casualties had been relatively low. That night, however, German torpedo boats, known as Schnellboots, moved into the escape route. I love German boat names. You got the Untersee boat, boot, which is undersea boat. U-boat. Yep, and you have the Schnellboots, which means quick boats. Fun fact. Yeah. So literal, the Germans. The first target they hit was the British ship, Wakeful. It sank in 15 seconds, killing everyone who had been below decks. Another torpedo hit the Grafton, killing 35 men instantly. The explosion rocked the nearby Comfort and tossed all of its crew overboard, sending the unmanned ship into the night, moving in a large circle. Mistaking the Comfort for the torpedo boats, the Brits opened up on it, creating a massive crossfire. The Grafton was hit by friendly fire and her commander was killed. As the evacuation continued on May 29th, the skies cleared and the wind shifted, making it possible for the Germans to attack the mole from the air. That poor guy's balls. The Germans were like, let's get him! <laughs> it's benign. I thought it would kill him. It won't. We will have to finish this job. I'm having an awful week. <laughs> no, the dock mole. Not the dick mole. <laughs> It's just one letter difference, goddammit. When they arrived, multiple ships were sitting at the mole loading troops. First, they blew up the destroyer Grenade, which is a stupid name for something you hope doesn't get blown up. Then they targeted the mole itself, peppering it with bombs and strafing it with machine guns. Men dove to the deck, with some even diving on top of their fellow soldiers to protect them from gunfire. Would not do that. I'd be a terrible soldier. I'm just going to admit it. 
Like I'd be crawling under people. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'd be like actively pulling people down on top of me. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, I want to make out. That's all I'm doing. Get fucking shot. I like it with the man's on top. Get on top. <laughs> I'm power bottom. <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone I was a hero. Because <laughs> I live. <laughs> I'll be all covered in blood and stuff, but I'll be alive. Oh, man, it was hell. War is hell. I'm going to get free coffee for fucking ever. <laughs> <laughs> One of the next targets was a steam-powered paddle boat, the Crested Eagle, which was slow and big, making it a prime bombing target. This thing is legit like Huck Finn steam paddle boat that is in World War II going to pick up soldiers. That's I mean, that's how a lot of these were. Once they got the civilians involved... There, it was little mom and pop fishing vessels. Yeah, I just thought it was funny because in my mind, it's one of those shows you go see on a riverboat where they're all dressed up like it's the 1860s. There's a guy singing an old man river on the back of the boat as they're sailing away and Stukas are fucking dive bombing the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a little white twirly mustache and he's got a, a bucket of fried chicken and a little top hat. Yeah. And just, you know, all, a bunch of slaves behind him. Oh, no, no, because it's a it's a recreation. We have to pretend like that never happened. Oh. I'm like, oh, no, everybody's just happy. It's the South. We're all happy. We're just... Oh. I don't see any um, African-Americans on this boat. Well, hey, Colonel you- Sanders, had, <laughs> this land is very well curated. Uh, how, do you, how do you accomplish this? Oh, <laughs> let's just call that my secret recipe. <laughs> I'm sorry, we passed laws banning you from talking about that. (laughs) Don't make this a woke steamboat, please. Hmm, okay. Okay. Fair enough. Some good chicken, though. (laughs) Very nice lawn, sir. (laughs) Mm, Thank you. Uh, what what side were you a colonel for in the war? What war? There was no war. There was never a war. <laughs> I mean, we didn't lose the war. If you if you civil really think war. about it, <laughs> only thing I, I know that civil is the civility amongst civilians, <laughs> both white and slightly off white. What's that tattoo you have? Well, that's just for my heritage. This little flag here with the bars and stars. <laughs> this is just something I'm proud of of where I came from. Well, what are you proud of about it? Well, there's things that I can't talk about in mixed company. <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I don't think there should be mixed company, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> that Colonel Sanders is fucking racist, dude. <laughs> piece of shit. <laughs> well, similarly easy to target was the 6,000-ton cargo liner, Clan McAllister. They were both hit directly with bombs and sunk. The wooden crested eagle caught fire and burned down to its hull. The Clan McAllister, however, sank in shallow waters and remained upright and would serve as a decoy in future bombing runs. The bombing continued for a couple of hours before the Royal Air Force, the RAF, arrived in their superior Spitfire fighter planes and drove the Luftwaffe away. By the next day, the Germans had the French completely surrounded at Lille and had pushed up against the perimeter established around Dunkirk. Anyone who hadn't made it there already wasn't going to, and it looked as if the evacuation was about to be doomed by German tanks and soldiers. But once again, 
the German high command made the strange decision not to use their tanks. You know, the whole blitzkrieg thing that got them this far. <laughs> ah. like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold what if on. we what if we fought this like World War One though with artillery and men running through muddy fields in Flanders like around Ypres mm-hmm. like that area that was fun right? Mm-hmm. They had again decided that infantry in the Luftwaffe could take Dunkirk and that the tanks were needed to attack Paris. A part of this decision laid in the fact that the Panzer commanders were easily bored by sieges and wanted to always keep their tanks on the move because they were also high on meth. Yes. Ah, what the fuck are we doing? This is taking too long. Let's go somewhere else. Let's go to Paris, man. They got cheese in Paris. They got all those, those, those French girls that I keep hearing about. Let's go there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back at the Mole and on the beaches near Dunkirk, the evacuation had once again slowed to a crawl. The Luftwaffe attacks of May 29th had scared the British Admiralty into removing destroyers from the rescue effort and had made them decide that all further rescue efforts should be done at night. As thousands upon thousands of British and French soldiers crowded the town and beach, they couldn't help but feel abandoned. The commanders continuously wired to London asking for more boats. To make matters worse, the Germans had moved close enough to shell the town of Dunkirk. Their prayers were answered the next day when the little ships of Dunkirk arrived. Every type of ship imaginable, from luxury yachts to trash hauler tugboats, left Dover, piloted by salesmen, brokers, actors, bankers, and dock workers, most of which had never been out of sight of land. They were given only the smallest amount of instructions, and even less supplies. When one boat owner found out he would be going in unarmed, he said, even a record of the 1812 overture would be better than nothing. A phonograph record for you <laughs> youngins out there. That big fucking speaker shell thing coming off of it, and he has to crank it to keep it going. Uh-huh. Somehow it always has static. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's viewed through the modern lens. Some guy over there is like, Turn that shit down! Can't hear my Kanye! He's like, oh, you still support him, huh? After what he said on Twitter. What the fuck is Twitter? It's 1940. God damn it. Have you guys seen my Yeezys? <laughs> They're also known as anti-Semitic slippers. Has anybody <laughs> seen them? They're really ugly, but we convinced everyone that they were cool somehow. So now everybody wants them, but they kind of They look-, look like open-toed ladies' pumps. <laughs> yeah. I saw some the other day. And knew what they were, finally. And I was like, holy shit. Those are hideous. Yeah. That looks awful. (laughs) And you can buy knockoffs, like, 15 bucks. These motherfuckers are going for 300 secondary market. Yeah, but you don't care about that, because you got that lottery money coming. I don't care about it. Okay, I'm going to buy some ECs. You're right. (laughs) You're right. Don't you care what that says about you as a person? Motherfucker, I got $1.2 billion in my bank. I don't count as a person anymore. I am a god. I do what I please. I will show my true colors now. (laughs) I am bored of your human problems. (laughs) For the most part, these little ships were to serve as ferries, carrying or towing rowboats full of men back to larger vessels. The biggest danger was impatient soldiers on the beach threatening to overwhelm the boats and tip them over. Some got so tired of waiting for rescue 
they would pull guns on the small boat captains and demand they be allowed to load first. That same day, an enterprising MP came up with an idea. If they pushed a bunch of trucks into the shallow sea and then put boards on top of them, they could create an artificial dock. He ran it by some engineers who agreed to do so, so long as they would be the first ones rescued off of it once it was completed. <laughs> Tit for tat, you know. Yeah. It worked like a fucking charm, but the engineers did such a good job that their commanding officer ordered them to stay back and build more of them. <laughs> <This> poor bastard. <laughs> Never be good at your job. You think mm-hmm. we're, we're not good at Just podcasting? Yeah, we're not good at this, and people don't ask us to do it. We just keep doing it, you know? That's right. On May 31st, Winston Churchill met with Maxime Vegon, who was now not only pissed that the British were evacuating, but also that they weren't evacuating French soldiers. Churchill proudly stated that since May 26th, they'd evacuated 165,000 soldiers, and then said, presumably in a hushed mutter, that of the 165,000, only 15,000 were French. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we've, we've saved 165,000 soldiers, guys. Yes, and how many are French? Well, let me just thousands do and thousands and thousands. <laughs> no, I need specific numbers. And thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, and, and he just keeps going until he <laughs> says it 15 50. times. Why, why, so many. Why say such specific times of thousands? You don't. I don't understand. How many? Are you French people fucking stupid or what? (laughs) I don't know where Churchill picked up that accent (laughs) from, but he nailed it. He had a MAGA hat, said make Armistice Great Again (laughs) from World War I. Yeah, he's just wolfing down some freedom fries. Mm -hmm. You guys always surrender. We, We have not surrendered as of yet. We are a military great power. I don't know why I sounded like this. I went to Italian, but that's okay. It's uh, <laughs> still European, you know? Churchill had a weird, like, spray-on tan that looked <laughs> really fucking off for some reason. And he was not embracing his baldness at this point in the war. <laughs> Big blonde wig. Implants. He, he was combing his back hair forward <laughs> over to where it, it went halfway down his forehead. It looked fucking odd. But it was okay because people still photoshopped his head onto like Rocky's body. You know, on like Twitter and stuff. <laughs> and like Jesus, like we were talking about in the first half, when he just flexed and broke the, cl- <laughs> the, cross. the cross off. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> once Churchill was called out by his allies about the disproportionate amount of English to foreign soldiers being evacuated, he feigned indignity jumped up and began shouting, Bras de sous, or arm in arm. It was then that he said from that point on, the French would be evacuated in equal numbers with the British. That day, another 68,000 troops were evacuated as the German artillery grew closer and closer, and even began to hit the mole, which had to be patched with things like doors and wooden benches. That night, shells decimated the city of Dunkirk, forcing the men who had been taking shelter there to make a mad dash for the beach. Artillery crashed all around them as they sprinted under orders to leave any wounded man behind. It's my kind of soldiering. Fuck that guy. Ooh. (laughs) Sucks to suck. Right? Right, guys? I'm a hero? Free coffee? Thank you for my service? (laughs) (laughs) Once the men were on the beach, 
the Germans began to bombard the shoreline. The next day turned out to be the worst one yet for the fleeing British and French. Their perimeter was crumbling. German high command had intercepted radio transmissions indicating where their escape routes were and targeted it with artillery before launching an infantry assault. The skies cleared, allowing the Luftwaffe to resume their attacks on the ships ferrying troops back to England. Seventeen ships would be lost or immobilized throughout the day. Still, the effort pressed on, and throughout that day, 64,000 men were rescued, including 35,000 French soldiers. More than half. Yeah, that's bullshit. We... These guys suck at math, man. Churchill goes back, you fucking French dogs! (laughs) (laughs) Not another Frenchman. Why don't we have a guy on the fucking mole checking off columns? I mean, this is easy. One, one, go. (laughs) One, one, go. (laughs) During his meeting with Vagon, Churchill had claimed that the British would hold the line and allow the remaining French to file into Dunkirk, but somehow it worked out in the complete opposite manner. The French fought valiantly as the Germans threw waves of soldiers and artillery into the outskirts of Dunkirk. But their persistence would wind up being their undoing. The war ministry decided that June 4th would be the end of the evacuation. Pretty much all of the remaining BEF soldiers were able to escape during that time, but the French straggled in and held the line as long as they could. By 10.30 a.m. on June 4th, the Germans held Dunkirk completely. 40,000 French soldiers had been left behind. And they just surrendered. I can't believe that shit, you know, man? Like, why? Not the time, Chris. No, okay, I'm sorry. Not the time. (laughs) In the end, the operation which the Admiralty helped would save 45,000 British troops had saved well over 225,000 British troops and another 100,000 French soldiers. Winston Churchill would say, We must be very careful not to assign to this deliverance the attributes of a victory. Wars are not won by evacuations. But because of what happened at Dunkirk, the Allies would survive to fight another day, which was bad, bad news for old bitch-tits Hitler. And that's always a good way to say, End of story. Woo! We did it. We told the story of Dunkirk in... Approximately the same time as Christopher Nolan, but I think we did it better, honestly. Like, I don't know. I feel like that movie's kind of overrated. And maybe this podcast is a little underrated, conversely. Like, these people need to support us a little bit more than they support Christopher Nolan. That's all I'm saying. I think that's obvious. Okay. This movie you. fucking sucked. <laughs> Three different timelines, and it's like, oh, it's a gimmick, okay? Yeah. Yeah. What I'm last a day, what I'm last a week, what I'm last like an hour, <laughs> and then they all converge. Okay, well, I was confused for like 90% of it, so fuck <laughs> off. Where Chris. is Batman? Where is Batman? He hasn't shown up the whole goddamn time. <laughs> Where's Guy Pierce with tattoos on his body that say, John G. raped and murdered my wife? Where is he? <laughs> is this a dream? I'm confused because Leo DiCaprio hasn't shown up and spun his little top thing, and I don't know if, what level of the dream we're in in this. God damn it! <laughs> anyway... We're better than Christopher Nolan because we also give you a little bit extra, and that's called the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. The French were so disinterested in fighting or retreating that sometimes they actively prevented the British from doing so themselves. 
On one occasion, a truck fell into a crater blocking the road. The French troops marching by refused to stop and allow the Brits to move the truck. An English major pulled a gun and threatened to shoot the next man that didn't stop. The French called his bluff, and they shouldn't have. He shot one of them, and the rest stopped to help him, and his men pushed the truck out of the crater. Fast fact number two. General Bernard Montgomery admirably defended the eastern edge of the escape corridor until he was finally given orders to fall back and evacuate. As he was leaving, he asked a Belgian preacher if he would hide a few of Monty's belongings, including his favorite lunch basket, until Monty could return. The preacher agreed, but he was still surprised when, four years later, Montgomery returned and asked for his belongings. Fast fact number three. One of the captains of the little ships of Dunkirk was Charles Lightoller. Lightoller had served admirably on the Titanic and was credited with saving several lives. In 1940, he and his eldest son took his own personal pleasure craft, which was licensed to hold 21 people, and rescued 127 British soldiers. On the trip back from Dunkirk, the ship was targeted by Stukas, but Lightoller was able to evade the gunfire by using a technique described to him by his youngest son, who had died earlier in the war while serving in the RAF. Fast Fact Number 4 On June 2nd, the Admiralty sent out an uncoded message saying, Wounded situation acute. Hospital ship should enter during the day. Geneva Convention will be honorably observed. It is felt that the enemy will refrain from attack. End quote. Their assumption was that the Germans would intercept the message and not target the big ships with giant red crosses flying on them. They were wrong. The two hospital ships they sent out were immediately attacked by Stuka dive bombers. No further attempt was made to rescue the wounded, and they were largely left behind to remain prisoners of war. All right, well that does it. We thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. We'll be back next time with more history. In the meantime, check us out at HunterProofHistory.com. You can get access to our Patreon, where for just $3 a month, you get old episodes, bonus mini-episodes, and early access to new episodes. And that bonus in old episodes adds up to like 100 things you cannot find anywhere else. You can also check us out on social media at 100ProofHistory. Mostly on Instagram and Facebook. We will not be giving Elon Musk $8 a month to be verified on Twitter. So you're just going to have to assume it's us if you see us on there. For myself, for Dan Dan, the intro man, Wolf Dick, our esteemed invalid producer, Hambone, who made his triumphant return, I say thank you for listening. And we ask, collectively, main host, best host, there can never be a better host. Greg, what else? Hmm? What? I'm sorry, what? Oh, nothing. nothing. Don't worry about it. Let's... We brought up Titanic in that mm-hmm. fast fact, and I was just thinking of Celine Dion, you know? Mm-hmm. Near, far, wherever you are. You know what I mean? Like, oh, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about <gasps> that movie all the time. Great American singer, Celine Dion. <laughs> I, I, I think she's Canadian, Greg. What? After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat 
prepared for this inevitability. Oh, no. Oh, no. Glad you recognized it. <laughs> inevitability. 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 There we go. After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat prepared for this inevitability. Uh, nope. Nope. Oh, point in, two, in, take four. Inevitability. I'm a little buzzed, but I don't think I can say that word sober. I don't know why I put that fucking yeah, shit Yeah, those words fuck with you. <laughs> yeah. Those fucking multisyllabic words that you say at a faster pace than other words, yeah. they fuck with you hard. Especially if they end in L-Y, like regularly. Spe- well, then just think of it as inevitable. Lee. Inevitably. Inevitably. Actually, it doesn't sound terrible. Okay, here we go. After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat... God damn it! (laughs) They're fighting. They're not even close to the same weight class. Yeah. (sighs) Take seven. (laughs) Point two, take seven. Click. After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat prepared for this inevitability... God damn it, I said the word right and then the inflection was wrong. There's not a comma! There's a period! (laughs) I said the word right though, daddy. God damn it. (sighs) After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat prepared for this inevitability. God damn it. I'm gonna change the word. Here we go, here we go, here we go. After World War I, the French and the English had somewhat prepared for this occurrence. Let's just hear them all now. Now that we got that. <laughs> this is a country for white men. 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 There's four of them. There's four. Yeah. yeah. The, the ones I added today were. This is a country for white men. Yeah. This is a country for white men. <laughs> Well, now the Allies had the southern. Well, now the Allies had the southeastern border of France cover. God, what is wrong with me? Alcohol. Alcohol is uh, what's wrong with you. Yeah, but I don't want to admit that. So you never do. No, it's just some some unexplained thing that just only happens when we record. It's funny because like while we're recording, I'm like I'm not drunk. I'm just messing up. And, and then, then you listen as- to it, and you're like, Oh, I was drunk. And as soon as we start playing games, we're like I'm sorry, Craig, I'm so fucking drunk. 